In the most divisive of times, the great debates rage on. Who was the best Batman? Was the book truly better than the movie? Did Han shoot first? Nerds with opinions will seek to answer life's greatest questions. Hello there, fellow nerds. You are listening to Nerds with Opinions, episode number 97. As always, I'm your host, Matt Holbin. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by guest host, Jimmy Levins, and we are discussing what's going on with WandaVision. Part two. In part one, we discussed episodes one through three of WandaVision. In this episode, we are going to be talking about episodes four through nine of WandaVision and basically closing out that first season or the series, depending on how you look at it. We haven't had an announcement of a season two, so right now it's just a a single series. We're going to cover that and then talk about the series as a whole and give it a good review and discussion here today on Nerds with Opinions. So we are rolling. We are back. And I am joined by guest host Jimmy Levins. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, it's a nice, gorgeous day. There was some snow, I heard, but like, uh, yeah, a no, dusting. I'm just, I'm just a little dusting. Mostly rain for me, but like, hey, I'm no, no complaints. It's a nice Saturday morning. All right, and we are literally one day removed, right off the heels of the WandaVision season finale. And this is going to be our episode four through nine, basically follow up. We did, we talked about like the early parts of WandaVision. um, And I'm kind of glad that we did it that way because we were discussing before recording that episodes one through three are really quite different than the the rest of the season. Um, And your the audience is is very very much along for this mystery of like what's really going on and and post episode three we get a better idea of that so i think kind of breaking this up worked out and there's a lot to unpack this is uh a very layered show so i i think this worked out well and if you are listening to this at this point we have a wandavision part one episode out so check that out and then this is going to be covering basically the last two-thirds of that season so first of all in that last episode that you and I recorded we were gushing over the show of like oh man you know we don't know where this is going but this is just so wonderfully ambitious and so different than anything that the MCU has done prior it's just really really bold and and uh, and outside of the box, and that's really, really great. And I think, from my opinion, the rest of the season just kind of reaffirmed our, our initial thoughts on that. We, I, I, don't, I don't feel disappointed by it. I think it, it was very, very ambitious and bold. So let's kind of talk about what happened post-episode three, because really the first three episodes are this commitment to what we find out is a show within a show and the show within a show is basically this giant manifestation of 
Wanda's grief of losing vision. And as the season goes on, then we get even more context of why the, why the very, you know, uh, direct homage to sitcoms and, you know, uh, and different decades of sitcom television. Well, you know, we, we get context into all that, but right going right into episode four, we're, what we find out sooner is that something's kind of amiss and perhaps this is Wanda that is, you know, knowingly or unknowingly, we're not sure at that point, kind of manipulating all this. So I first want to talk about just kind of the slow rollout of every, on every episode, especially post episode three of kind of the, the mystery. Did you like the, the really, really slow build? And by the, you know, the end of the season, you know, we were full clip, but I mean, shoot, even up until like the final episode, there was still a lot of stuff being, being revealed. Did you enjoy that? Like was the, was the pacing, did that work for you? I think it did a really good job in balancing the pacing because as we know, each episode would kind of range in time length, uh, like trying to match, of course, the typical time length you would see in a sitcom from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then it would, then when we break into the real world, it goes on to four or five minutes. The, the now kind of standard 48 minutes, the now standard of like a typical episode. And they did a really good job in letting things breathe at the pace they needed to breathe to kind of keep you interested, give enough time for the characters. And then for the mystery and suspense and the intrigue, uh, it did a really good job in, I would say, just giving you just enough per episode with the uncanny, the kind of Lynchian stuff we mentioned a little bit in uh, the last one with that whole sense of something's off slightly. We don't know quite what. Uh, like, and then, and then when it kind of gets more into the reveal there, I would say there's been enough, uh, time to think it over because it's week to week that it gives us time to kind of, I would say, get us more engaged, get us more involved versus I don't think I would probably have noticed how good the pacing was if it was all dropped all at once. Uh, because having that time to breathe, you can really notice, like, you're kind of thinking, okay, why did, what was that? You have time to rewatch the episode if you want. Right. I, I loved the pacing. I, I, and I, like we talked about in uh, the last episode that we recorded, I was such a fan of how committed they were to doing the show within a show in the first three episodes, especially. Um, I did hear some negative feedback from, from, you know, fans and people I knew and whatnot. Some people thought that the first three episodes were just super, super slow, but I, I don't know. To me, I I thought that pacing was great because it, a lot of this is so multi-genre and there's this, there's this mystery kind of thriller aspect, you know, underlining the series as a whole and I think that they did such a good job at revealing only one card in the hand at a time. 
They didn't just lay down the, their whole hand just willy-nilly. And I, I mean, I, I think that that hasn't been an MCU problem, but I think that it, it can be easy to do when you're transitioning from doing two and a half hour movies to a nine episode like television series. It, it's, it's a lot harder to spread out that story and make sure that you're, you're hitting beats and not just doing the full reveal too quick. And then you go, Oh, well we shot our wad. How are we going to wrap this up? I mean, it happens a lot with shows or if you, if you hold too much stuff at the chest and it's, and you roll it out too slow and then you, you've had some people drop off along the way then you go, okay, well here it is. Here's, here's the big boo. And then, and then the season finale is just this bonkers, you know, crazy reveal. And then it, you kind of, it diminishes some of that. I think that they did a wonderful job at early on, like we were talking about in the first three episodes, just showing or not even actually showing. Sometimes it was just what you heard. There was enough revealed that, like you said, there was that uncanny of like, something is amiss here. Yeah. And I thought that was so much more intriguing and provocative than had they, you know, like episode one, they, we, we have this, you know, oh, well, this is kind of the rundown. This is what's going on. There's, it's a show within a show. It's this manifestation of Wanda's grief and this, that, and the, like, I, I love that it was, you know, you knew something was off, but you, you had no idea what it was. And it was, you know, chunks and layers. And it was done tastefully too, uh, because what they would hint at wouldn't be kind of too audience twinky. It wouldn't be too kind of pandering. It was done in a very artistic way using uh, music and score, using a very subtle direction that, that was given to an actor. Uh, yeah, a like lot of delivery. it was very atmospheric and- Exactly. Um, tone. Yeah, very much in tone. And like, I think that was uh, a smart move. Uh, Cause I don't know, I feel like that when you're thriving in two different genres where there is this element of heightenedness, which is like, you know, old uh, 50s, 60s TV and superhero genre is that sense of you almost have to be a little tongue in cheek or you almost have to be a little uh, like you just roll around in the fact that we're in a fictional world that isn't our own. But I would say everyone took it seriously to make us the audience, I would say, take it seriously as well, because they could have just like, you know, phoned it in like, oh yeah, we're in this, like they could, but I thought everyone, even into the smallest uh, ensemble role, they did a really good job in, I would say, saying consistent, but uh, true and respectful to, uh, kind of losing my point, but like a, essentially they, they did a really good job in us not, shoot, lost my train of thought. It was a, uh, we were on the path of, I'm sorry, I digress. Uh, <laughs> but Jump like, back I in if, it, you, if, if you find it along the way. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I loved that it kind of just built into this, this fever pitch and there's, and every time you thought that you were going to have this like really big, crazy, like blow off there was like a little bit more and a little bit more there's and a layer to it yeah 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 I, and i 
I, I really enjoyed that, that like we, we didn't have this just, oh, well, okay, there's, we were drug along till the last episode and then there's a giant, you know, resolution there. There was a little bit yes. of resolution from basically midway point of the season until the end. Um, go ahead. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't making it up as they went along. That was the point I was trying to get. They did a really good job in, like you said, threading things out. There wasn't like, cause some TV shows have this issue where they're almost writing it as they go. They don't quite know what's going to happen. And like you said, they get to the finale and then they got to do a game of catch up. Uh, and, like, and it's like, okay, well, we got to, we have to throw much. this in there because we mentioned this in episode four and yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and I think that is maybe one of the things that Marvel is trying to work on because we do see a little bit of that in their bigger ensemble films, like in the Avengers movies uh, in particular, I think. And I, and I'm very impressed that I think through trial and error, they learned what not to do uh, mm-hmm. when going into these newer, longer form series, because they don't have that, that, they have more of a cushion, I think, and more of like a nice net versus a, there is of course uh, an art to being able to tell a good story at a limited amount of time, but some, t- some stories are meant to be longer form. Right. Yeah. So, well, okay. So let's, let's kind of quickly pivot into that, that long form storytelling. Obviously like, this is their first foray. We know that there's more to come in terms of these, I don't know whether to call this a series or, or a show. Um, because I, it remains to be seen whether or not this is just a one-off season, and then in which case it would be like a mini series, or if this is going to be a multi-season show. We don't know yet. Um, but at this point, let's just call it a series. This is still their first foray into this, and let's talk about that a bit. In my mind, it's a great idea because we can, you know, spend more time with a few characters that perhaps, you know, haven't had the three to four movie arc that some of the other, like, you know, bigger names that kind of were like in the, the original couple phases of, mm-hmm. of the, you know, MCU. And it allows for a broader story to be, you know, paced better and told over a, a longer period of time rather than kind of cramming that all into that two and a half hours like you're mentioning. However, like we said earlier, too much time, especially if it's, you know, if it's not what the production team as a whole is used to really working with, you, you could almost like, oh, well, okay, now how do we fill this up? Because this is far exceeded what we would typically, you know, do in terms of runtime. Um, so I think this is an example of that the additional time and the you know more of a long form story really really worked. And would you agree with that? I think yeah very much so because I think Disney knew Disney and Marvel knew that uh they kind of closed the door on certain characters and then they're like how can we keep going? How can we keep this gravy train rolling? And I think it was very smart to, I would say, not invest all of their new phase in TV shows, but at least a good third or half because of supporting characters. Because I remember this interview with Anthony Mackie on the most recent Hot Ones episode where he was saying how he feels like this, the third and fourth character in a movie is always the, be- the best character to play because they kind of do their, they do their own thing. They aren't essentially, they're helping the main character. 
Uh, like right. in every other Mar- Marvel movie, you always see the supporting characters get some great screen time, some great yeah. one-liners, but that they're to aid the hero, the Captain Americas, the Hulks, yeah. the Iron Mans, uh, primarily Cap and Iron Man being the two uh, leads the show. But then you get like these supporting characters that have some fan base more in the comics and they didn't really get their dues in the movies. Like I would say I found Scarlet Witch kind of boring originally in some of the earlier uh, introductions to her character. Cause I was just kind of like, what is this? They're kind of just dropping her in Quicksilver in uh, Age of Ultron. I'm not quite quite sure what really what, uh, and I thought it was more of just sort of like a way to, we. it just seemed kind of lazy when I first saw it. And I was like, I don't really quite get these characters being in here. But and same thing with Vision. I like thought Vision was more of a fleshed out character because we saw him even going back to the first Iron Man movie in a way because he kind of does amalgamation of Jarvis and uh, and and a bunch of other things. But what's more about this TV show is now that we're stuck with these two few characters, uh, this series are almost giving them a thing of catch up, kind of like that metaphor of. Uh, like say you have having everyone start the race yet some people had a little more practice time to do some stretching versus the others then everyone starts it's not really a fair race uh at these tv shows i would say gives these other characters some time to breathe and flesh out and i would say get equal uh, screen time that they didn't get because they were kind of in the shadow of the lead so I think that this was, I think, a great move because then when they reintroduce these characters into the one-off movies later in the phase, we have more of a, a backing, an engagement. We have more of a full-rounded character that makes us, I would say, makes us more interested in seeing how they're going to do a cameo in like a Spider-Man movie, a Doctor Strange movie, what have you. Uh, and I think it makes Disney, I would say, have a better cast of characters to utilize. Uh, yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think they they made great selections. We'll, we'll see how, where it goes, but you know, obviously, as of now, we know that obviously there was this show. We're uh, in a couple of weeks. We're gonna get Falcon and the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. and we're gonna get Loki. The great thing about that is, uh, obviously, I would say that probably the you know most popular character out of, out of uh, all of those was probably Loki, mm-hmm. but. Even then, like all all of his all of his screen time is basically playing in o- opposition to his brother, who who you know who's really like the core of each story. Thor so, is the core. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I agree with you. I I think that this you're taking. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to. Jeez. Minor characters, but that almost feels like it's got a negative connotation to it. You're, you're taking more um, supporting characters. I think that's a better better descriptor uh, because I don't think they're minor because if you think of like, especially Vision's role in Avengers 2, it's like, it's very significant. Um, but obviously like that's a stacked movie and then Vision is being cast under... Iron Man, under Captain America, under Thor. Um, so this allowed for more supporting sort of characters in these like giant team up movies to have a little bit more of a singular light shined on them. Even even Winter Soldier, obviously, you know, we have 
a whole movie where he's like the you know the the main antagonist to Captain America, and there's this you know really interesting arc uh, up with Cap and and Bucky, but again he he's secondary to to Steve Rogers and all those in all those films, and with like the Steve Rogers character, with the Tony Stark character, with the Thor character, you know we've had this you know, each of them have had this trilogy of their own films. And even though there was, you know, appearances by all these kind of supporting characters in those, the, the focus is on those lead characters. And so you're right. There's there's only been a little bit of time spent with Wanda, with Vision, with Bucky, with Falcon, it, you know, in comparison to these other these other lead characters. So I, I think it's great because we can do so much more in terms of character development. And I think I, I agree with you with Wanda that especially early on, like she was not well defined. I, I don't think until things got interesting, I think, with her once Civil War rolled around. Agreed. Because I, I think... Oh, I was just going to say that, like, because uh, I just felt like this wasn't the Scarlet Witch that I was more familiar with. And it felt more like a artificial creation to aid these newer movies versus something that it's like artificial versus natural. Uh, and uh, I, think, I think I think she was in, in a way. Yeah. And I, and it, it was, of course, a way to, like, weave in X-Men universe in some way as well. But I think it was smart think about for Disney. when she first got plopped in. Mm hmm magic in the MCU was still like in its infancy. Yes. And I, I don't think they it hadn't was done until... strange yet. I believe. Right. No, it was like, I, yeah. Yeah. She was one of like the earliest, you know, outside of Loki, it was like her and Loki were kind of this earliest kind of iteration of, of magic. And it wasn't until Dr. Strange that we really busted open that whole like mm-hmm. I- idea of how, how far and fantastical, you know, the MCU can really go. And I mean, well, I do want to talk about that separately because that's something mm. we have to talk about because, dude, they took that ball and ran with it in WandaVision. Um, but just kind of still talking about this this time with characters. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think like it wasn't until Civil War and this kind of – she was really uh, – there was this interesting thing with like her powers – that I think was one of the the product, uh, provocative storylines, along with along with the Bucky character with his storyline in in Civil War, that really led to that like separation and strife between Cap and Iron Man, and so you know th- things got interesting with her in that regard, and I th- I think that they really sowed the seeds of how. F- how far they could develop that character and the, the vision character by leaving off civil war into what happened with her and vision in infinity war and then an end game. So to me, this was like a natural, you know, um, place to just pick, pick right off that from that story. Mm -hmm. It's also a great, it's also kind of like, why bother making new characters when you already have this people that you could utilize right there? And well, they're still going to make new characters. They did. They yeah. did in this show. But what I think was really, really great is is having that amount of time 
we can do so much more character development than you could in even a two and a half hour movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And especially in an MCU movie, because of course, like they're not going to have a two and a half hour movie at this point with how many characters they have in that universe really settle in the pocket with just two characters for that entire time. And they're just not going to, um, you know, I mean, for goodness sake, like look at the, look at the, the uh, rumored cast list for like Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. That movie is hardly going to be a Dr. Strange movie anymore. It's basically going to be like infinity war, you know, 2.0. Um, so I, I guess the point I'm making is we had this, you know, nine episode arc of at least a half an hour each episode where we could have this really just like exploratory experience into the psyche and into the emotions of Wanda. And even though it is then revealed that this version of vision is basically just a manifestation of her love, her grief, as she, you know, she says in the finale, her hope, her sadness, it, it really expanded upon and further developed his character even more that, you know, than, than it already was. And, and, uh, I love that because to me, I think he is maybe for me personally, one of the most interesting characters in the MCU and this gave Paul Bettany an even, you know, further platform to just expand upon that character and make him more human. And, um, yeah, I dude. in that regard, I think, geez, if they can keep this up, like this is a really good way to make to, to, if we're looking at it from like a financial standpoint, this is a really good way to cash in on your investments on characters even further because then you're not only have these like giant, like, you know, blockbuster properties in like a captain America and a Thor whatnot. Now you have a lot of fan buy-in to these characters that, you know, prior to this, like there's probably let's, let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. There's probably, you know, uh, there's not as many, Wanda Maximoff action figures getting sold as, you know, a Thor or even a Scarlet Witch or, or excuse me, even a, um, a Black Widow for, for that matter, just because, you know, Black Widow has been fleshed out more in, um, in the MCU. So I think just, yeah, from that point, you know, they've, they've definitely sowed the seeds of like, these characters can, really take the reins moving forward into the next phase. I think it's also uh, what I really liked and appreciated was they have so many great actors under contract that you almost want to, you almost want to give them something to really chew on, really savor some really good lines some really good performances some really good moments. And I think a lot of times Marvel didn't quite know what to do with certain actor, didn't fully utilize them. And of course that could be a producer issue, a writer issue, a director issue, but I felt like this will help a lot of the actors, I would hope, like wanna be, I would say, remain involved in these types of franchises when there is a richness to it. When there's, I would say, not just a, they're standing there with nothing to interact with, uh, when you have some really great chemistry. You want to have the actors feel like they're contributing something, not just standing there waiting to deliver a line. And I felt like 
and I'm with you there. Fission was one of the more interesting characters for sure. But I felt like now they're really giving something for Paul Bettany to really use his strengths in because he could mm-hmm. have been like the Jude Law guy, like in the early 2000s, like that really sexy, skinny British guy. Uh, <laughs> but he's always, which he is, uh, but like he he's better when he has like a chip or an edge to him or something quirky about him. Like we saw in Knight's Tale. Uh, yeah, we, he's yeah. really good. He's really great in Master Commander, where he's playing this really into like it's kind of like a this kind of, almost like a nerd on like this old timey ship, or even technically in Da Vinci Code, like he's pretty iconic in that when he plays the albino assassin. He's good when he has something that kind of almost plays against his physical typing. And Elizabeth Olsen, she's kind of an indie darling. She was in a lot of like Sundance movies before she really got picked up by bigger studios. Uh, I, it's kind of like, and I, and a lot of people just saw her as the younger sister of the Olsen twins. And now mm-hmm. she has, I would say a lot more of, honestly, I've, let's just seeing Elizabeth Olsen, uh, like grows an actress. I have forgotten all about her older sisters because I think oh, she, hands down. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I think she's surpassed them in terms of, uh, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah. And, uh, and she's in a lot of great movies. Like she's in, uh, uh, she was in like a great, a few indie Indie greats uh, in the 2000s. She got a lot of Oscar buzz for a few films in the 2010s. Uh, and then she kind of was so focused on Marvel films, I never really saw her do anything else. So I feel like this is a great way to essentially, like, we have these great actors. Let's give them something to really work with, really run with. And I mean, like, cause there have been a lot of times where I feel like actors drop out of franchises when they don't feel challenged. They don't feel like they're really tested anymore. They they feel like it's kind of just a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, and that's why we see a lot of actors may drop out of franchises and trilogies, why we see a lot of recastings, why we see a lot of, you want to almost make them want to be there. And yeah. I think, yeah. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the, the acting performances because I think that pairs well with what you're talking about with how they had more time, the writers, that is with character development. Because then that in turn, I think really gave the actors a broad and clean canvas to really do, I think, in terms of these characters, their best work. Um, because you just had more time. But I, I it, man, I, I was so stunned and impressed because, I mean, let's be honest, there, there's, I think, you know, as the MCU has, has, has gone on, we, we've had some some really like, amazing like emotional moments and uh, you know standout performances but we've had some that like were kind of one-dimensional you know and it, it is it the actor's fault I don't know you know is it is it is it writing it's it's probably an amalgamation of of a lot of factors you know obviously there's been some of these like really standout moments that you know we've all talked about if you think of like you know I love you 3000, you know, like we're going to, we're going to always be talking about that or, you know, I'm not ready to go, Mr. Stark. Like, you know, there, there has been these like moments where it's like, whoa, like we see this, this amazing range and depth from these actors, but those movies are so jam packed with action, with story development. Like it, it's just basically, it kicks into fifth gear and you, and you have to just go and yeah there's only small pockets for like some really interesting, like dramatic acting. And this, actors do well with what they're given. 
I yes. mean, there's so many performances that I'm with you in some past Marvel movies were kind of one noted with the amount of time that they were given. Like, I mean, we, and we'll probably talk more about the villains later regarding uh, Disney Marvel's villain problem. Uh, but like, there's that whole notion of like, an actor can only do so much if they're only given so little time, but they do a really good job with those restrictions in some examples. Like, um, yeah. but like, I'm with you there. Like it's, so it's nice to kind of give some equal timing and space because I mean, if you have our Robert Downey Jr. on your contract and you're paying him a lot of money, you almost want to give him as much time as possible. Uh, it's like, uh, but like, and then you have some great performances from like even support, supporting people. Uh, uh, then I'm kind of going back to uh, what you were going to finish earlier. Oh, so all I was going to really say is it, you know, there has, there's with the films, there's really only that amount of time for your top build people, like you were saying, like, like an RDJ. Like, I feel like he's been given enough time to really have some amazing kind of moments where we could see his acting chops with the Tony Stark character. However, you know, these more kind of supporting characters, like we said, we haven't had that time. So what was really great is since they had a little more time to breathe and have like, emotional beats in this series mixed in with, you know, mystery mixed in with a bit of thriller mixed in with a bit of action that I think that in terms of just the MCU as a whole, that we saw some performances that had much more emotional depth than I think a lot of the performances that have been turned in for, you know, this, this universe, um, like, wow, the, both the lead characters, I think really, really like dug deep and had, I mean, cause if you think about it, like there's so much going on with their characters in terms of just the, the, the genre jumping and this kind of reveal of not everything is, you know, is what it seems. And then how this just turned out to be this giant allegory for grief. Um, so you, cause it's when it starts off, I mean, it is like full on 1950 sitcom, really light and funny and comedic and, you know, a lot of physical kind of comedy and then, you know, by the end, we're, we're full MCU action. And then also, you know, like really resolving all of all of this, like loss and grief, like it's it's finally having to be dealt with. And I, I think that with all that just kind of, in, you know, encompassed into these performances, I think that both Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen turned in some of their best performances. And I think like some of the best performances in the MCU as a whole, because there was just a an emotional quality to me that like, I really, it really resounded with me. Um, so I was just very, very impressed. And I think that the length helped that out. Agreed. Cause like, it's definitely, I'm very curious to see uh, how the um, awards are going to like uh, take advantage, uh, interpret this show, because I think only recently, like as we saw at the most recent Golden Globes and Emmys, they have been nominating Disney plus content. Like, we saw Mandalorian and, but they've never done anything for a Marvel superhero show before. Uh, so I'm very intrigued to see what the reception is going to be. I mean, I think because of all the marketing and uh, 
definitely with factors like say, uh, of course, a little backing to market it and keep it fresh in your mind. Uh, there's going to be, I think, a lot of st- still spotlight on the vision uh, closer to the, to the, I believe, later spring when the Emmys uh, are uh, in full swing. Because uh, I think it should get actor, actress, supporting actress for Catherine, Catherine Hahn, who's one of my favorite comedic actresses. And we'll get to uh, her, yeah. Oh, yeah, she's great. And then I think it could even, like, but the category, like you were mentioning earlier, is it a miniseries? Is it a TV show? I think it's, I'm very curious to see if they're going to like weave it into the other shows. Because if that's the case, then because some categories I've known, like, like the Golden Globes, they made a new category for best TV movie, miniseries, limited series, anthology series. So like they keep like, so they're kind of opening the umbrella for. Well, and I love that because to mm-hmm. me, I see a, a giant problem with some of these award shows that I think are, their categories are, are just way too generalized. It, it, it's a problem. Cause it's like, I mean, sh- should, should this, you know, should show or movie a be stacked up to show or movie B when in genre and style, they are worlds apart. I don't think so. Yeah. And then you see weird, like things or like format instance, for that, for that matter. Yeah. And also there's mislabelings all the time. Like for instance, Downton Abbey in its first season won for best miniseries, even though it is a TV show that we know now. And then we saw like True Detective, it was labeled best drama, uh, best TV series drama, even though it's more of an anthology series. So there's that. It's an anthology series. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the my guess my theory is WandaVision might get miscategorized as one until they kind of establish what these shows are as a whole. Like, is it going to be an anthology series on the umbrella of Disney Marvel? Kind of like American Horror Story is an umbrella under American Horror Story, but each one's kind of their own thing. Like, I think they're going to have to really narrow down to see if they want to be eligible. But as we know, like award uh, producers will always do a really good job in in campaigns because hey if this if it's most likely going to win an award in this category we'll put it in that category uh because i know for a fact disney's going to really invest a lot of time in wandavision getting some emmys because they already have prestige but i think it'd be really good for them uh to get some emmy wins for like their first run in tv shows well because yeah because because traditionally you know the oscars have kind of snubbed a lot of like the the superhero genre i mean outside of the heath ledger performance outside of the joaquin phoenix performance there you know or visual effects mm. superheroes the superhero genre as a whole hasn't got a whole lot of love at the oscars and so if if their way of kind of breaking into award winning is is the emmys i i agree with you they're gonna they're gonna go hard with that mm-hmm so let's 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 talk about Catherine Hahn um, because we yes, were talking about the, the, the two leads, um, their performances. I, I think second only to them, hers was the most interesting because, again, she showed this incredible range just like the two leads because, you know, it, like she's going from she has this kind of within the show, within a show, uh, the show within a show, she's very much she's got the trope of like she's the nosy neighbor and i believe that her initial 
casting was nosy neighbor because they, they wanted to keep the Agatha Harkness, um, you know, reveal a secret. So she, she was cast originally as nosy neighbor. And that's like, I think, I don't know if the, the IMDb, IMDb credit has changed, but it was originally nosy neighbor. And so that was like, just, that's just basically the trope of, you know, that kind of character in those sitcoms. And this, the kind of over the top, especially with the fifties and sixties era, you know, oh, well here I am. I'm the neighbor. Like the really, like uh, just the, the, the delivery, like she just nailed all of it. But then she's one of the, the first characters that has that kind of like, not the, not the first, but one of the early characters where you have that, like, Oh geez, like what's going on? Like these are, these people are having some sort of like realization or, moment of clarity where they're revealing that something is very amiss and that they may be, you know, victims in a situation here or captives in a situation here. And so she showed like this giant pivot and for the kind of actor that she's known to be, that was a really interesting sort of kind of emotional switch that that they did with her. And then, of course, by the end, then it's revealed that, you know, she's the big baddie, the big, the big uh, antagonist and villain. And then we see this other, like, wrinkle in and, and aspect to her character where she's quite evil and ruthless, but then still has that kind of, like, biting wit. And so, I yeah, I... Loved everything about her, her portrayal of that character because it was so layered and 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 nuanced. I think. Yeah, because I the longest time uh, I recently watched this one of those like actors dissect their career kind of videos, and they did one for Catherine yeah. Hahn, and she was always kind of that you recognized her, but she was always kind of like that background ensemble actress where you always saw her in like she was in the back, she was like an anchorman for like a few lines. She was in. Like Parks and Recreations, she was in How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. She was in uh, the Bad. Like, and then she gets more like. I like always more... just think of her as like this super uh, horny woman in, uh, in Step Brothers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh man, I lost my when, when I first saw that movie, and the lines She's that hilarious she would say. Oh yeah, I just want to roll you up my vagina and just keep you there. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, who is this woman? And so just right off the bat, she does a really good job in she's always that actress where even though she's given a small, a small part, she fills it up really fast. She knows it really how to leave an impression. And now she's getting some bigger stuff. Like I really liked her in this one TV show uh that only was on one season for Amazon Prime called I Love Dick, where she plays kind of like she's at this arch retreat and she's obsessed with Kevin Bacon's character. Uh, and she's so good. Like she does this great like range of dabbling with comedy and drama. Uh, and I think now like this type of role really utilizes her best strength where she plays the memorable supporting character. Uh, but then she gets, but then when she's given more screen time, then she really knows what to do with it. Uh, there's like, there's this funny thing that she said where back when, uh, for like a year, some of her supporting characters were always playing a pregnant woman because she was pregnant at the time. So she always would play these angry, 
pregnant woman about to give birth because and she's like that was my that was my character for like a year in different movies so there's almost like a weird expanded universe if you look at like the career of Catherine Hom playing the pregnant woman in different movies and they're like is that the same person she's well, just funny because she even like makes some like her character makes some kind of like very tropey jokes about wanda yeah. being pregnant you know and like yeah so that's interesting exactly yeah because uh Ah, and I I really like seeing her get more uh, wealth of time. Uh, I know she's in some other upcoming stuff, like, uh, but I don't. Oh yeah, she what she did voice uh, uh, Doc Doc Ock in the Spider Verse movie. I forgot about that. And she was in Captain Fantastic. Right. She she was in Revolutionary Road with DiCaprio. Uh, she's in oh in Transparent. She was a she was so good in that TV show Transparent on Amazon Prime. Um, but I think Rondovision really utilizes her strengths. Uh, this is her really coming good. out party, I think. I think, yeah, in terms of like, I really want her to win something for this part because she's, honestly, even if she didn't like go on to become the, like, to like spoiler, she's the villain of the show and she was just the nosy neighbor for oh, the entire show. Oh, by the way, show. if you're listening yeah. to this, like, we, I mean, like you probably are very aware that like we, we are spoiling this. So it's, it's, I'll put a disclaimer in the intro, but yeah, I mean, we're going to, if we haven't already, we're getting into all of this. So yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Oh yeah. So she was Agatha all along. Dude, that uh, reveal like, though, like, did you see that coming? You, I, I, I call bullshit. If anybody was like, oh yeah, that was so predictable. Like I knew it. bullshit. That was such I, a good reveal. And it was like out of nowhere. I definitely knew that something she knew more than she was letting on to. Uh, Cause out of everyone she almost felt like she was like, okay, everyone else is acting this way. I'll act this way too. And just blend in. That was kind of my impression of her. And I'm like I thinking, okay. Think that she, that she was, that she was the, the lead villain though. And I didn't think she was, I didn't think she was pulling strings within Wanda's, you know. Oh yeah. I, I, I definitely like world, you know, Westview world. Yeah, because I think the one thing that Disney always forgets is when they're casting a villain, they always cast someone of notoriety to where it's kind of a, okay, they have this one relatively known actor or actress. It, they're most likely going to be a villain, but they did a good enough job in sprinkling relatively known cast in the rest of their show that, that it could have been really anyone. And she's not the only villain, arguably. I mean, like the head of Shields also. Sorry, I think the head she's of the. The main villain, but yeah, the, she, that, yeah, that guy that's the head of sword is such a dick, though. Like, I, I, I think personally, I disliked his character way more than like Agatha because she's kind of almost like she's kind of charismatic, and so she's like one of those villains that you're like, I kind of like her. I exactly, like yeah. Because in the comics, she's kind of picked as just this old witch, uh, and yeah. this one, you get a lot more of it. I would say she there's a little more of an interesting angle to her because most of the time they could have just cast an older actress and not played up the comedic bits at all. Uh, they could have just done Which like, I'm glad they know, didn't do that. Exactly. They could have just gotten like, I don't know, like an, uh, an actress in her seventies, like Jane Fonda and just said, okay, act like an old witch lady and go. They could have done <laughs> that. If it was a one-off and it wouldn't have been as memorable, but having Catherine Hahn, I think, cause I think after we learned in some like, uh, as we learned in like the Avengers movie, Age of Ultron, or even in Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor Ragnarok is Disney realized we got to add a little comedy 
uh, to balance out the drama. And so in WandaVision, I th- right off the bat, just comedy. Uh, and I think that was a great little balance act, balancing act that Catherine well, Hahn did. And Yeah, before her reveal as Agatha, like really out- outside of like, there, there are those moments where like, things suddenly pivot and like, you know, there's, there's some more dramatic stuff going on, which I think showed her range, but they really kind of let her do a lot of the heavy lifting of like what, you know, what she's known for, what she's good at is like quippy sort of one liners and like kind of being like the, the over the top sort of, you know, nosy neighbor character. And so I, I think they, not only did they kind of, let her show the chops that she had that we haven't got a whole lot of opportunity to see prior, but then they also relied on like what, you know, she's known for. Yeah. And like, and the two villains of the TV show, they're almost kind of a duality to uh, Wanda Maximoff in a way where we have like Agatha's kind of in a weird way, like Scarlet, which Wanda could have been like Agatha in another timeline, one could say. Uh, but then you see like the villain of, of uh, sword who you basically d- see him do things that are very similar to one of Maxwell regarding like uh, tampering with the video surveillance footage to make Wanda look like the villain. So he's basically tweaking uh, reality in a way to base- better his cause. Like I thought that the whole duality of really what the motivations of both villains were, were very compelling because you kind of saw that in, uh, Wanda Maximoff, because really her goal was to live in a reality of her construction, uh, basically have her cake and eat it too, doesn't really want to accept the circumstances. Uh, and in another timeline, she could have been a lot like Agatha, who essentially uses her magic to get what they want all the time at the harm of others. Um, and I don't know, it was a very compelling balancing act of characters, because I think that that was the biggest flaw of most Marvel movies is the villain, where there's always kind of this pattern. They cast someone of notoriety to play a villain. They get some screen time. They're going to have a good transformation where they become the villain, and then they lose, and then we don't see them again. They rarely get that kind of equal spotlight that we see in some of the other characters. So rarely, besides Loki, there aren't really that many compelling or memorable villains uh, there are some, of course, like Thanos and arguably Ultron who have like either big screen time or very compelling one-off performances. Um, but in terms of fleshed out three-dimensional characters, there's very few and far between in the cinematic universe of uh, Marvel. Uh, and I, th- I thought they had so many missed opportunities with the actors they had uh, in contract to play a villain. But with Agatha, yeah. I-, I thought Agatha was definitely... I mean, I, I don't wouldn't say she's up there in terms of like best Marvel villains, but in terms of like full rounded characters, she's up there because we have, of course, the Killmonger, the Thanos, the Lokis, the more like richer villains in the Marvel films. Uh, but Agatha is a nice little change of pace. That's a lot more on the comedic side that like I don't well, I think for she's also a great vehicle to really bust open and expand this world of magic. And maybe we should, um, here in a second, transition into that. I just wanted to say one more thing about her is I also enjoyed that they left the door open for her to be brought back, maybe down the line. Because she isn't killed, and she seemingly has her powers ripped from her. And she seemingly, 
you know, then kind of Wanda, Wanda visioned into, you know, going back to like her nosy neighbor kind of character. But I, I don't know. To me, like not having her killed or anything like that leaves the door open for a possible return down the line. And I, I would be totally okay with that. Um, so transitioning into, let's talk about how deep into the well the writers and the, and the show writers went with going into to magic because we've, we've had, we've had that now be an element into, into the MCU. And, and, and as they go on, they're really, and I'm glad that they're doing this because it's, they, they have to kind of expand that world and go further into the cosmic realm and further into the magic realm. But we've kind of, they've, they've gotten further along into the cosmic realm than they have with the, with the world of magic. And obviously the biggest and boldest step forward prior to this was the Dr. Strange film and the, you know, the introduction of his character. But I think this really took that into its own branch because we had this great expansion of the idea of chaos magic and what I would argue is, is we're getting into like darker magic than what the Doctor Strange film I- introduced. And I think it also kind of, you were talking about that duality of Wanda's character. It really set her up as a possible anti-hero down the line, because arguably everything that she did over the course of this series or this season is justifiable. We have empathy for it, but it's, it's not right. She realizes it's not right. So she, you know, sacrifices this basically like utopia she's built for herself to release these people. But the fact of the matter is, is like she did something that wasn't right. And I would say that with the, the post credit scene that, you know, is showing some seemingly, uh, uh, showing her seemingly diving real deep into the world of dark and, and, and chaotic magic that I think this is a move forward that is more akin to her characterization in the comics, which is as, as a fan of the character from the comics, I think this is what I've been waiting for. And because she is a very, in the comics, she is a very complicated character and is, from time time to time kind of going back and forth between this this desire to want to be a hero, want to be good and you know this kind of darker side. And so I I, I like that that's where they're going with the character because I, I feel like the MCU doesn't have enough anti-heroes. Uh, you know, I, I, from what we've been introduced thus far and if you're looking at the marvel universe the marvel comic universe there's this really there's there's an even spread of you know 100 like good to the core heroes there's like the the most deplorable villains and then you have these like people that are morally gray and i i think that there needs to be more of that in the mcu to remain 
compelling because much like, you know, the real world, like not everything is black and white. And so I'm very excited by that. I'm very, very excited about that. And I think that chaos magic and dark magic is, is a good vehicle to, to really expand upon that. It was not what I was necessarily predicting would be the vehicle. Cause you and I kind of both thought that this was going to be a way for the MCU to introduce mutants, which it really wasn't. And uh, I think we also thought, Oh, well maybe Ultron's going to be brought back. That wasn't yeah, either. Yeah, IMDb, and I don't think that was, yeah, I noticed that too. Cause um, James Spader is credited in the cast, but I guess because they used a voice clip of his, I kept thinking that he was going to come back in the show as Ultron as white vision. That was my theory originally. And I was a little, I, I don't know. I, I like James Spader's Ultron's uh, voice. So I was a little bit like, Oh, I thought he was going to come back, but I think that would have been almost a little too convoluted and overloaded if they had done that. Uh, so I'm kind of, well, and I think it's, it's more interesting to do something completely fresh. Did you um, now the mutant thing yeah. would have been completely fresh. And that's not to say that that won't be introduced at some point, um, you know, cause we also were, were predicting like, Oh, they're going to do house M they're going to do house M. And really they kind of did, but only with the Monica Rambeau character. And it wasn't that she became a mutant. She, it's just this, this chaos magic garnered her powers that I think are, we'll get into that. That's going to be kind of its own, its own thing. Um, but what's, what are your thoughts on this? Like this, you know, definite like deep dive into more fantastical, magical elements. Do you, do you think there's a place for that? Or do you think like, oh, geez, now we're going to be just getting way too, way too convoluted in terms of like the universe as a whole? I mean, it's it's so big that like it, it, it is a possibility it could be down the road. But I think what's a good idea that they're doing is like, they're at least anticipating what's going to come next. Cause I was expecting, well, and they are kind of are, uh, this is going to lead more into, uh, uh, the new Doctor Strange movie. So I was expecting he would have a part in the post-credit sequence or in the final episode. Uh, and they would, but then I realized, oh no, that's in 2022. So it's not like a, a right on the cusp of the heels of WandaVision. Uh, so I didn't quite look at the phase map to really come up with my theory. It was just kind of like a gut feeling like, okay, are they going to hint at it now? Are they going to do it later? Because uh, they didn't mention that she's going to play a part in the next Spider-Man movie as well as Doctor Strange. And they are going to do a movie called The Mutants, which is the original title before Stanley called it the X-Men in the comics. So, like, there is, like, I can see the little targets that they're going to aim at. But in terms of the weaving, I'm very intrigued for, to see how they're going to do it. Because, I mean, as you, as you all know, listeners, I'm, like, I'm a fan of Marvel and I'm a fan of superheroes, but I'm not as well versed in, like, the, the origins in the comics to really have, like, I would say, like, a preference on really what they're going to do. Um, but I think it's a good that they're expanding really what's in the world because we've already ex- established what's beyond the stars, what's on the earth, uh, in the, in the first initial infinity phase, we did get some like stuff involving like the chaos. I almost the chaos emeralds and like that's Sonic the Hedgehog, Jimmy, you know, <laughs> I almost <laughs> said the wrong thing. Um, but like, uh, they've expanded like really other characters and other villains. Um, cause right now, I mean, the biggest uh, characters they have are like, they have the Spider-Mans, Doctor Strange's, their Scarlet Witches. And 
And of course, like if they want to go even further, I mean, like they could even do like uh, they're still doing the more villain spinoffs. So there's a lot of potential right there. So I'm very curious to see what they're going to do. But I would say I don't really have an opinion uh, regarding it. To me, it's exciting because I think the if we're just going off of like the what you can adapt from the source material it's just a wealth of different different sorts of genres and and, and stories and that had they kind of just kept it in the world of enhanced heroes like a you know like a captain america or you know these kind of Batman-esque, you know, uh, Tony Stark-esque, like, oh, well, I'm very rich and I'm very intelligent, so I've created this gear that allows me to be a superhero. It's, you know, that would get, uh, that would eventually get boring. And so, you know, of course, then they introduce Thor and then then you have this element of, of, you know, Norse mythology and, and gods and other, and other realms and whatnot. And, and then we just kind of keep expanding this universe. And, and I, I, I think that with the expansion of the universe in terms of characters, we need an expansion of the genre elements that we're, that we're doing. And I, I think that's going to keep it fresh. It, it's, it is risky because then it's like, Oh my gosh, are we, are we going to get like, so out far out into the weeds and like so expansive that like we can't rein it back yet. I think there's um, a possibility just because the biggest rule that a lot of people break in world building is I would say losing track or forgetting what the rules are because world building doesn't necessarily has pertained to fantasy and sci-fi as most people assume. As long as there's a 360 fully explained reasoning and rationalizing of how this world works, that's world building. But the thing though is, is like with all these different like showrunners and directors and writers and producers, even though there is the umbrella, as we've seen with like Star Wars and for Marvel, things can get, I would say, disjointed or lost or have to be rewritten and fixed. So that's my only concern, I guess, now after thinking about it is the bigger, more you expand, you're almost going to like, well, we technically established this in the previous movie 10 years ago. So technically we got to stick with it or at least explain how it doesn't work. Cause I don't know. That's how I felt a little bit with the time travel logic in Endgame. is like, like, this makes, this is a really weird logic, but I think in the end, they just got to really sell it and commit to it is the only thing I'm going to give them. Yeah. Well, I think this is a, like the, the, the prior stuff with like Loki and Dr. Strange was a really good, like base and this was like, okay, we're 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 jumping off, we're going for it, and so I think thus far, like this is a great setup and introduction to go to being all in on kind of the the magic thing, but again, I I think it's a logical next step because they've they've had a lot of you know they've had a lot of stories already take place on Earth. Now we've gone cosmic. And like this is a this is a way that we can really introduce that idea of of a multiverse and you know things that are completely bending physics and and logic and and whatnot. Um, and, and I think it, it allows for for a 
for pat for older characters to be to eventually be phased out and and an introduction to to newer fresh characters and that's going to be the thing that's going to keep keep things going because you know there's there's only so long that some of these people are going to want to have contracts and continue to play these characters and there's only going to be so long that it's going to be interesting to to see the same people over and over again so i think they've done a good job at like continually growing and you know moving the phase in a in a forward trajectory which i think is is really good and i I don't know to me the the story possibilities with getting really far into magic especially chaos magic it's i think it's really exciting i do have the same concern with like oh boy are we going to get to a point where this gets really muddy but i mean if you think about it we're we're you know over a decade into this cinematic universe and aside from a few missteps they've done a pretty solid job at making it all work cohesively and then you've had a lot of you know different different people kind of float in and out of it and i think it's it's helped that you've had kevin feige at at the helm uh you know love him or hate him i think it if you have somebody that's kind of a figurehead that's like, hey, I'm kind of overseeing all this, I think it helps it kind of have a a singular trajectory and not like just all over the freaking place. So, yeah, I'm excited by it. So let's talk about let's talk let's transition into um, real briefly. Let's talk about the the boys because. That didn't necessarily go where we were thinking either because we predicted, oh, well, they're the vehicle for House of M because that's basically what happens with House of M. And arguably, I don't know, man. I think like, you know, the fact that she has to let them go and let Vision go um, and they they weren't just killed, I think was way more heart-wrenching and and way more uh, emotional and dramatic. Do you think? Do you think that too? Agreed. Yeah, no, because I, there is the possibility if they really want to go to the multiverse side that they could bring them back, but that's so down the road that these child actors would be like, have to be recasted by then. But like, I was definitely like sitting there. I absolutely think they could bring the characters back because I think they sowed all the seeds for she's so powerful that she can manifest almost anything into existence. And I think that maybe by you know, uh, we don't know where this show's going, but if there's other seasons or, you know, her, she has other appearances in movies, I think that she'll be so powerful that she will be able to manifest not only like just a, a, a person that's just not physical, but you know, is, is magic. I think she's gonna be able to manifest like actual, like physical in, you know, in the real world things and people mm-hmm. that's just, what I'm thinking, but go oh, ahead. you know, but Sorry. like, I mean, I'm with you there because that was definitely a heartbreaking, uh, like finale. We're seeing her family go away. Uh, but like, you kind of knew it, it was either, either save the town and save the people that really have no consent or say what's going on. Or it's sort of like really with great power comes great responsibility. Like, what are you going to do with that? Yep. What are you going to do with that whole thing? Uh, and at least that's something that, they're staying consistent with is the people coming to terms with the ripple effect that they have. 
because uh, I mean, like they're super beings. I mean, like what they do can cause harm to those who don't have those powers. I mean, that's why a lot of people have like prejudice toward like mutants uh, in like the whole lore. So like, so seeing her have to make those hard conclusions made it, I would say like we went along with this character to where we got, I would say like, I don't know if it would have been as emotionally resonant as it was in like maybe a one-off movie. Uh, it did make me think a lot of Infinity War in the end when all these characters are just sort of disintegrating. Uh, it felt very much like a callback to that. So I feel like that yeah. first time like really broke, I remember it like really shook me. So when I saw this, I'm like, oh, it's like all over again. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I thought those two boys were really good actors mm-hmm. and really brought, you know, because when when they're kind of brought into this story, there's we begin to realize that, you know, and, and as does Wanda, because she gets really just kind of caught up in, in this whole thing where, she, you know, she she manifested this this reality by her own volition. But then she almost becomes, um, you, you know, she gets so caught up and she becomes unaware. And the with the introduction of the two boys, I think that's when things start to kind of become more evident that like maybe what she's doing isn't completely right. And that, you know, there, there might be people suffering and everything, but then she's got so much stake in the game with not only, you know, having vision back and, you know, it's, it's, it's made her love for him even stronger, but then now she has these two sons and I, I think it 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 made that kind of internal struggle of, you know, give up this family and, and do what's right or 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 keep it going and, you know, live in bliss because the, the grief is too hard to deal with. And so that kind of that that battle back and forth, it, I think, was really intriguing. And I, and I love that they grounded that it was a a relatable struggle in the in the end when Monica Rambeau says that you know basically she couldn't blame her because she said if I could if I could go back and bring my mother back I would and and I think that is relatable cuz i mean let's be honest in the exact moment of grief you know we've all lost somebody close to us and if you haven't you're you're going to eventually and in that exact moment i mean if if you had the powers to just like put yourself in a world where that person had never left, almost everybody would do it, you know? Like, it, it, just because grief is such a peculiar frame of mind and, like, you're just, you're not thinking, you know, properly. And, and yeah, so it's very relatable. And that's, um, I, I, but the boys, I think, grounded that more. Agreed, yeah. I think I think uh, casting a TV director was a smart move because he knows how to d- direct them as if it's for TV, because in the, I believe it was like the Malcolm in the Middle illusion episode, they fit in so well. Like I literally kept thinking, oh, oh yeah, these could be like Disney Channel actors, like in terms of just sort of like uh, the type of like delivery of their lines and the type of timing, like yeah, breaking the fourth wall and, and kind of leading the story. Exactly. With, like, yeah. yeah. And like, um, they're, I thought they were great. I mean, like, and they kind of, I don't know. It's kind of most of the time, 
that whole a kid that gets superpowers trope can get a little bit like, man, I'm going to go rob a candy store. There's like a lot of generic kind of utilizations of what they can do with that. Uh, but I felt like the chemistry was pretty genuine between the two brothers. Like, uh, and then when they introduced like the uncle character, they just kind of, it's just, they were just so much ripe, ripe with shy, uh, hijinks and shenanigans, shy jinx, I'll call it hijinks and shenanigans. Like it was just so, I thought that that was just such a great like dynamic. Do you want to talk about, um, I, I, uh, I've lovingly started to re- refer to him as Fietro. Yep. Fake Pietro. Do you want to talk about yeah, him? Yeah, because I, when I saw that he was in the cast list, I figured, oh, they are going to reintroduce the mutants in some way because uh, he plays Quicksilver in the Fox-owned X-Men movies. Uh, while Aaron Taylor Johnson, Ellen Taylor Johnson, I believe his name is, uh, played Quicksilver in uh-huh. the Age of Ultron movie. And we all know he died. Uh, so I was very much thinking, oh, this is going to break a multi, this is going to the multiverse break open into the X-Men side of that multiverse and then bring everyone through it. Um, same, but I thought he was great for the time that he was on there. He's, he kind of was a little more of a slacker in this embodiment than he was in the days of future past, which I thought was really fun. Made it more grounded in the TV show because he's almost like the older brother character in Malcolm in the Middle or like the funny uncle who just shows up in Full House. So he was a nice embodiment of those types of characters. Yet, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of, it was kind of funny when the the reveal of who he is. He's all being controlled by Agatha this whole time, and his name. And I'm like, was that just a long winded dick joke uh, or something like that? Because of his name. And I was just yeah, last name. Yeah, Bar. and I'm like thinking. Thinking, did Disney literally just spend nine episodes building up to a dick joke? Uh, the pun game was like, I'm like, uh, even for me, it was bad. Like, uh, but I thought it was like, I don't know. It's kind of that whole angle of, oh, really? They weren't, I don't know. I, I was expecting to be a little more of a, uh, of a, of a throwback uh, in reaction to how they resolved that character. Uh, have you seen much on the line regarding the reaction of his kind of arc? No, I haven't. I haven't seen that yet, but I, um, I can speak to, to my own opinion of it. I, uh, I loved his inclusion. I think Evan Peters did a really good job. And I thought that like the Halloween episode, especially, I think he really shined. And I, I, I agree with you. I loved his interactions with the boys. I think, he, you know, he 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 as the irritating kind of like slacker loser. Uncle, the man child. You know, that's kind yeah. of. A, yeah. You know, that's kind of just like taking advantage of like, you know, his sister's resources and everything. I, I think that was played to perfection. I have to admit. That even though I was totally cool with, you know, that this wasn't a House of M sort of situation. With the reveal that it's just like he's just another character within the show with, you know, in the show within a show and that, you know, he's just a a pawn of Agatha and he's just a dude, which is like part of me is like, okay, I mean, that's definitely like such a such a trope for like an Evan Peters character, especially a comedic one. But I was disappointed. I have to say I I was I was disappointed because I'm with you. To me, it was like. This is it. This is this is their opportunity to introduce introduce a multiverse, and you know, like I don't want all the past like 
Fox Marvel, you know, characters to be brought in and, and or or those actors, but like you know, we could kind of have a little bit of crossover now and it'd be really fun and interesting. And so I was a little disappointed yeah. about that. I think that was one of the few missteps. The whole actor the whole time uh, trope, uh, as we see in Iron Man 3, doesn't always work out. So I was a little, uh, like, I'm like, really? This was way better than yes. that, though. Let's let's just. Okay. Yeah, because my, my biggest frustration is that whole trope can work in other movies. But my biggest issue is if if, if you loved the the performance within the performance that the, the character was more than the reveal and you get annoyed at the reveal, you almost feel lied to uh, audiences. And of course us nerd fans, we kind of put ourselves in this position where we invest almost too much. We have really high expectations. And even the director yes. of the finale said, yeah, there's going to be a lot of unmet expectations. Uh, even admitted that because and it's kind of our own fault. I mean, like we're, we're, but it's, how can you blame us? We're, 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 we read everything. We watch everything. We talk about everything. We research everything that we kind of get ourselves hyped up, especially if we have a week to kind of like, or even a month or months to like, just wallow in it. So when yeah. we feel like our expectation wasn't met, there is that sense of betrayal. Uh, I don't, but I'm with you there. It, I don't think it was as bad as it could have been. I think the fact that the finale was more satisfying than that one little thing that I think people maybe let that pass. Right. Yeah. So, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't awful. I wasn't like, Oh gosh, like that's just uh, like, uh, my, my, it, yeah. it was like, uh, okay. that, that, that was literally my reaction. I did. I was like, okay, like fine. Moving on. Like I, yeah, that, it just wasn't like, it wasn't as rich of a payoff as I think we were all hoping it would be. Yes, because I personally wanted more of the Evan Peters Quicksilver. So I was a little bummed that we, that door closed. Um, well, especially when like his reintroduction, because you're thinking like, where the hell did he go? And then like, he pops up in that post credit scene. I'm thinking, oh, we're going to have something really interesting with him. And all it is, is like a little bit of interaction with Monica. And then it's just that, just to reveal that he's a, a pawn of, Agatha and I was like oh, yeah. oh, okay like I thought he was going to have a way more significant role in like the resolution of what happened and he didn't oh at yeah all. at the same time though that almost is akin to so many tv shows and soap operas the whole the character's back when we thought they were dead or like oh the character was written off like it's almost I almost am fine with this because that's such an ingrained trope in like tv uh that it almost I don't like it but it feels spiritually akin to it in a way that I'm like okay I don't like it, but if it oddly fits, like, cause I mean, if you've watched like soap operas, would, like that's basically a comment. There's so many things like, oh, recasting, rewriting, reintroducing, uh, bring back from the dead uh, is such a, like a, how do we fix this problem? Uh, so I'm like, okay, right. I think this is the one exception to their uh, past uh, like delvings into that kind of thing. But uh that's fair. But yeah, no, I still like him so, a lot. Like I, I thought he was the Halloween episode that he was in is probably his shining grace. I look forward to rewatching that on Halloween this, this coming year. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's transition into how this show ended. And I want to, I want us to make predictions and talk about where we think this is going. Um, so let's first talk about where it leaves off with Monica Rambeau's character. And she had a very interesting arc too. It definitely, it was, it was a good way to bring that character back into the fold and clearly set her up for a second 
Captain Marvel. And, you know, in her post credit scene, we have the reintroduction of the scroll race and the uh, the character that the character that Ben Mendelsohn played in Captain Marvel is alluded to. And so then that's kind of the setup for more cosmic adventures and Monica to, you know, I'm assuming be reunited with, with Carol Danvers. Is that where you think that's going to me? That was like a little more obvious. Yeah. Do you agree I, with I think that? so. Cause I mean, like they've already like, I wasn't a huge fan of the Captain Marvel movie personally. Like uh, I thought it was f- fun, but I knew that, by it, but that was going to be a bigger uh, player in the new scheme of the phase. So I, because my theory regarding the post credits things, I, my theories were, of course, I was wrong about most of them, but I knew they were either going to establish uh, cosmic, uh, uh, go in more uh, with Doctor Strange, uh, bring back Ultron, or the other post credit theory I had was they were going to uh, do the whole, like, the mutants are back kind of thing. Um, and I was... I was a third right, I would say, because they just, like you said, they, they brought back the, um, what are the name of the green morphing aliens called again? Uh, the scrolls. scrolls. Thank you. Yes, scrolls. Uh, I kept for, I, like, a, the scrolls. Uh, so I, and I thought they were a, a fun part of Captain Marvel. So I'm like, okay, they're going to probably be a bigger player in the next phase. So it felt very appropriate, I would say, for that to be a post credit sequence. Because I like the actress that, uh, that Rambo plays uh, is played by because I've only known her from Spike Lee movies prior. Uh, she was the lead in Chirac, which was kind of her one of her breakthroughs. So it's I'm glad to see we get my kind of more of a wealth of new characters on top of uh, fleshed out characters that we already are familiar with. Right. So yeah. So bringing the scroll back into the fold is you know obviously like it's it's really it's going to be important in the next phase because the. The rumor is that what they're trying to set up kind of the next what would be replacing like kind of the giant like team up Infinity War level thing would be they, they're going to do Secret Wars and Secret Invasion, which is a, a big um, MCU storyline or a big Marvel Comics storyline. And at, at the center of that is the, the scroll race. And, you know, they've announced that they're going to do a MCU Fantastic Four and and they 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 play into that storyline very heavily. So this all makes sense to me. And I, I think giving Monica's character powers was was really cool. And I think it was a, at least a little bit of that payoff that I was looking for and like hoping for House of M that, you know, at least somebody was a byproduct of like this this chaos magic energy. Um, so I enjoyed that. I think that that's, that's kind of a, a, a fairly, a fairly defined path that it seems, you know, it seems for that character and for, um, for that kind of storyline. Vision's fate very much intrigues mm-hmm. me because now we have like, I don't want to say fake vision, but like vision number two. What, yeah, what, oh, white vision or pro- project vision. cataract, white vision. Okay. Like I literally just, I remembered I, I was looking at the puns in WandaVision and that was one of them is like, this is project cataract. And like, why is it called that? And 
someone said, well, because he has a white vision. Oh, dude, I don't remember that. Have they actually called that? That wasn't a bad joke was, you just made? Uh, like, literally, it was like I was watching this um, recap episode on uh, Major Spoilers on YouTube. And the guy was, like, saying, like, the guy was basically making a joke uh, called, they should have called it Project Cataract because the guy's white vision. So I was more, like, uh, copying oh, the, okay. the the joke. Okay, so that wasn't in the show. Okay, good. I was like, that's so bad. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> it's almost too bad for Disney. And I'm like, don't go there. Like, I would love, I mean, okay. the pun game, I mean, like, there was some nice little pun games in there for sure. Uh, but no, right. but like, but no, I thought that was going to be uh, uh, the return of Ultron was my theory when I saw them reveal White Vision. Uh, and I thought like, okay, this is how James Bayer play, comes back in because he's in the credits. It's totally wrong. But I was very intrigued by the interactions of the two regarding the whole yes. the, the, the ship of Theseus, uh, which I've heard alluded to in other movies. It's always something that people always bring back in science fiction, I've noticed. The whole notion of like, uh, are we the same person at, at, at like the end of a journey versus we are at the beginning? Theseus, of course, is the lead, uh, I believe, is the lead of the Odyssey. Uh, and people like have just dissected that whole uh Thing in like metaphysics for like so long because I've seen people bring it up in like movies about aliens and movies about like superpowers and movies about like how a character changes uh, and the whole it does kind of work within the themes of grief and really moving on from grief because really what is if you remove all the planks of a ship it's still the same ship if you replace the ones that were like damaged it's still the same ship or is it really, what really makes a person a person? The person that you knew, uh, what makes vision, vision? And that was a very, a very, like, my head was nodding the whole time. Like, wow, this is very, like, provocative. And, like, a, that's why I love that character, though, because he is maybe, like, the, the most, uh, I don't know, like, every, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for. Um, he's oh gosh it's it's escaping me i had it on the tip of my tongue um he's maybe the most profound character in the whole mcu and which i love because that's that's a really good way to portray him because it it is very much how he's portrayed it in the comics where his you know even though he is a synthetic being his understanding of human philosophy and you know is is maybe far beyond the even the human characters uh and and i and i love that he has some of the most profound lines and and interactions um and that that moment i i agree with you was like was absolutely stunning because they they got into this like really amazing like you said metaphysical Mm -hmm. and philosophical sort of moment where it's it's seemingly almost too too deep to be in in a you know to be happening in a superhero um property but but i love that there has been a precedent for that in past mcu things and i mean dude he like that character is the owner of some of i I think the most iconic and um, amazingly beautiful and inspirational lines Mm. um you know, like the one from this show was, um, you know, what is grief if not love persevering, which is just a stunning, stunning line. So well written. And, you know, or I think of like Ultron when he talks about uh, Age of Ultron. Um, 
you know, when he uh, talks about, um, oh, geez, something about, oh, a, th- a thing isn't beautiful uh, because it lasts or something that to that effect. Um, it, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I, I love that character. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. That was a such a like really amazingly deep scene. And I was looking something up and it is called Project Cataract, apparently in Marvel. It is called that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, Which it makes sense. That's a little. That's a little on the nose. But okay. Yeah. It is. I mean, like, I'll. <laughs> oh God, that's funny though. It's a, it's a little cheesy, but okay. Yeah. It is. It's like clever cheesy, but yeah. But like, uh, no, I'm with you there. I I really liked uh, those sequences between the two visions. Uh, it makes me wonder really, because he kind of just goes away he just kind of like kind of like superman he just kind of like just goes off to like think about who he is uh did you think that the very final post-credit scene when we're like in the isolation of some sort of like european mountains or whatever did uh i didn't i didn't think that was actually going to be wanda i thought it was going to be vision that like he basically and it's it's great that you reference Superman because I thought I actually like said out loud when Heather and I were watching. I'm like, oh my god, he's made his own fortress of solitude. Yeah, <laughs> like and I thought he was going to be there, just like pondering like his his place in in the universe. Um, so I, I wasn't ready for what we what we did get. So yes, you're very right. Like it's just kind of like he leaves, and then his storyline is just completely left up in the well, air. It makes- Quite literally. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was expecting uh, them to be like an interaction, like right when uh, Wanda's constructive vision like uh, disintegrates, um, that the white vision like shows up. And there's almost, I was expecting there to be like an interaction of like, he knows who she is, but they don't have those shared memories because he didn't uh, basically absorb the experience of the uh, artificially constructed uh, one uh, to really have that that journey they went through together, almost like a motion of like, I don't know who I am right now. I need time to think. I thought there was gonna be that kind of interaction between the two of them. And Scarlet gives him space. Like, kind of like a like a relationship to, like talk kind of episode. Or, so I'm like wondering, oh, so Wanda doesn't even know what became of it is what I'm wondering. But of course, as- I don't think she does. And that's the thing, like Marvel always does this where nothing's ever 100% like resolved in one thing, it's always left open for more, which of course that's their bread and butter right now is the sequels and the spinoffs and the continuations. Uh, I was kind of low key hoping that one of it, low key hoping, low, <laughs> I was hoping uh, uh, that, uh, that this would have been one of their few times where, cause I think that is the biggest uh, flaw with Marvel movies is you need to have watched everything prior to know what's going on like WandaVision is great but to fully know what's going but on, like yes. yeah most of my friends like who probably haven't seen the other movies probably wouldn't get WandaVision and I for I would like and of course they do have great one-offs like their earlier movies they can work on their own movie their, their own sides but then like the tv shows they're so dependent so there's that whole argument of is it really a strong show if it's dependent on all these other things like is it stronger if it gets down on its own there are all these questions that people are bringing up about Marvel movies because of it and yeah. I was yeah. kind of hoping that WandaVision would have been the few times where you get a full resolution, but I'm like, nah, they're going to milk this gravy train for everything it's worth uh, as per usual. But like, I'm, I, they left a lot of, I would say, engrossing, provocative, uh, thoughtful notions of 
what can be to come down the road that makes me think, okay, this is something uh, I would say emotionally uh, investing. And uh, I think on a level of just, I think just character, it's a lot more, uh, it feels different than what they've usually have done. So I'm very curious. I agree. I, I agree. To me, I think it's a very interesting and fun way to do a pivot with the character without fully, fully killing vision off. Um, because I think his reintroduction in this show made me want more of Paul Bettany as vision. And I, I think most viewers would probably agree with that. And, but it's, it's a good way to still commit to the fact that the vision that we knew has been killed off. This vision was a manifestation of Wanda's grief. And so there, there's some finality to at least the versions of him. And so that it's not just like a, a cheap parlor trick of like, oh, well, the, you know, we're just going to keep kind of faking you guys out. And then we're going to, you know, bring him back. It, there's there's a logical way to have the character still exist and, you know, not like do the silly thing. We're like, oh, we're just continually bringing people back from the dead because um, that that becomes like lazy and, and kind of cheap. And as much as as soon as it was like, oh, my God, like. Yeah, uh, Vision one basically just transferred like his memories into Vision two. And so Vision two could like reunite with Wanda. I was so invested in, you know, like in the in the love story and everything and in like trying to be a fan of like her remedying her grief that of course, like I wanted that. But then when I was starting to think about it and then like feeling like, oh my gosh, like there's no resolution at all. He just like up and fucking leaves. I got thinking about it, I'm like, that's too easy. That would be way too easy. And it would almost be like kind of fan servicey. And, and to be honest, it would be, I think a disservice to the, the overarching theme of, of this show and of this season was, was basically the the themes and motifs are 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 battling grief, how to handle grief, and then like having this emotional catharsis. And I think that there's no reason why they can't eventually have their reunion down the line. But I think that the the moment that she said goodbye to him and to her boys it would mean it would mean less if immediately after then this new version of visions like hey i'm ready to pick right back up where we left off i, I think that cheapens yeah. it so it 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 i think it ma- it uh it makes it makes that sacrifice matter more by her having to go on this like solitary journey uh you know that's basically her kind of one could soul searching. One could also say the ship of Theseus uh, can apply to her as well because she isn't the same person that she was when she began. Uh, well, she's the Scarlet Witch. Exactly. Now. Yeah. Like, is she like who is she now? Like, and uh, so I think that theory expands to not just Vision as well, which makes it a lot more like provocative in terms of like really who is she going to become now? Uh, because I mean, we as people, we're always going to change based on the experiences we're put upon. Uh, and, and the people that we meet along the way. And so in this case, like I 
I kind of wondering the same thing. She's going to become possibly more of an anti-hero. We'll find out. Like, well, let's talk about her post-credit scene. So that's the very, 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 very end of of the series uh, or this season. I keep saying series. I, I don't. I don't know what to call it because if we haven't, we haven't. Been, it hasn't been confirmed whether this is a one-off or if it's gonna. There's gonna be another season or what. But okay. So, anyways, um, the the end of this episode. It we get this like amazingly beautiful, you know, sweeping landscape shot that goes into this, like I said, seemingly like a European, you know, mountain range. And we go into this like cabin and she's by herself having a cup of tea or coffee or whatever. And you're thinking, okay, so she's just taking some time to kind of like process, isolate. And then he goes into the next room and she's sitting there like full on just like clicked into like dark chaotic magic. And she's like flipping through the I, I can't remember what they called that book, but it's basically book of the like the, this book. OK, yes, the book of the damned. And it's it's basically like detailing this this chaos magic and everything. And then you hear what sounds to me to be like her boys crying out for help. Um, and so it was like. Dude, I was like sat there. And I'm like, what just happened? Because for one, it's like, what's going on with why is she manifesting herself? Just kind of like, oh, I'm processing, and I'm like, I'm in this this place. Why is she manifesting this version of herself? And when she's like, you know, in the other room, like full scarlet witching, and she's diving into some some dark shit, like clearly. And then what's with the with the boys, is she like, is that kind of the tease that she, that a, a part of them are like, because they were were manifested by dark chaotic magic, are, are they kind of like, is their essence locked into this chaotic magic somewhere and she can like re-manifest them? I, I don't know. Like there's, there's also, it, it, it was very, it was very provocative because it left way more questions than answers in my well, opinion. Well, the post- Fair sequence also has a funny kind of uh, symbolism metaphor for us in quarantine. We're like locked away in a cabin out in the middle of the woods, just sipping tea. But really, we're like, there's a lot more going on than what you think. We're like reading all the time. I don't I kind of read also as kind of an unintended quarantine joke. Uh, But like every superhero has a freaking cabin like Age of Ultron. They're at a cabin. Uh, Wolverine, he's out of cabin. Tony Stark has his cabin. Yeah, every yeah. superhero needs a getaway. Like honestly, that'd be a great idea for like like a like a some sort of like a like a one off is like this like a superhero like uh, vacation retreat like a Blackbeat Ranch but for superheroes or something like that. Like everyone needs that little vacay away. <laughs> yeah, totally. An Airbnb for heroes when they need that time. Their jobs, their jobs are highly stressful. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> So what, what was your interpretation of that? Or were you kind of in the same position I was in and you're just like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I was in the same boat. Um, like I can kind of see it also as a visual metaphor of like really what there's something more beneath the surface than what we're aware of when we see the two uh, in the foreground, the background of like, so that, that I kind of read it as that's what it's symbolizing. There's like more going on uh, and more to come. Uh, mm-hmm. And, but yeah, no, like you, I was expecting it to be white uh, vision in the cabin, or at least maybe she's almost, I thought it was going to end more melancholy, like where she's recreating it, but only within the limited confines of that cabin. So no one else gets hurt. Like she wants to still have that little bit of, of uh, bliss. Ignorance is bliss. And I thought it was just going to end like 
in an old timey like TV show where she's like dancing, like, you know, in like say end of a Dick Van Dyke episode and the end of episode one, like they could be like dancing and then uh, like Iris fade as they're about to kiss. And that's the end of the show. Like I thought it was going to be like, she still wants to have that. So she's going to recreate it, even though she knows it's not real. I thought it was going to end in that kind of just kind of like a lot more of a, on a bittersweet note. Uh, but then a quick side note, I just, I just want to say, we didn't mention this, but I love that they, they explained that why this manifestation of her grief was coming out into like American sitcoms is because that was what her comfort was when she was Mm -hmm. back in the war zone of Sokovia brilliantly done and a great way to then explain all the homage and reference. Just wanted to say that real quick. And I thought that was smart because that is, there is some truth to that. Like I know a lot of, there's a lot of stories of immigrants coming to America where they're really, their knowledge of America is through old TV shows and sitcoms or movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was very apt uh, for this type of story. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of interesting when I was kind of thinking about the whole, will people get engaged in this type of like uh, throwback and homage and pastiche? Uh, kind of what you said earlier, some didn't really quite enjoy it. Some, and of course, tweets their own. But it makes me kind of wonder, especially with our generations that maybe didn't grow up on that old type of old TV, that classic TV, and we more were brought up on like say the the like homage to the old TV but it's like modernized. It makes me wonder uh-huh. like, uh, cause that's kind of what a lot of now generations are getting exposed to is like necessarily like, it's like the copycat, not the source. And it's kind of, and for me, I grew up on classic TV. So I love the throwbacky stuff, but some, but some people only were only exposed Same. to the kind of the corny tongue in cheek copycatting. Like, Oh, we're trying to be like, I don't know, like the artist movie or like um, or like the Bewitched yeah. movie where they're trying to allude to the old, but there's a kind of a cheekiness to it because they know it's not, it's all made up. They're not really taking it seriously. Like, right. And I don't know, there are times where I'm wondering where the person's coming from when they say it doesn't work for them. Like, are there, which wh- there's, because of course we have that kind of emotional and personal connection to the older TV like Wanda does. Not uh, not emotionally ingrained as she has it, but like uh, like I wasn't in like a house explosion where I was stuck underneath the rubble for days uh, after finishing Dick Van Dyke. And then you're just forced to watch Dick Van Dyke play out. <laughs> yeah. God, that. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but you were talking about like you thought that, that it w- they were going to go back to that that well and have it kind of. And in a very sitcom fashion. Yes, I thought it was... And then obviously it didn't play out the way that you were expecting. Yeah, because, well, I thought it was just going to be a lot more of... Because most uh, movies or TV shows that talk about the whole notion of ignorance is bliss kind of theory, a lot... There are times where I've always seen, like, do you want to live in the... Like um, like an Inception kind of ending where you're kind of wondering, is she choosing to live within the false reality? Uh, like it, has she fully just been engrossed by it? I thought that was kind of my theory of how it was going to end where she, or, well, and then it makes me wonder is like, it, are she doing like Dr. Strange solace? Is this an astral projecting projection? And she's like, Hey, I'm taking my time to be in solitude and, and process. But the, 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 the other me, that's my astral projection, but the other me 
we're diving in deep into this chaos magic. I think she's doing a good balancing act because I think that's very emotionally healthy. You got to take your time for yourself, but also take your time to explore their interests as well. And I thought that was a very healthy, <laughs> other than, interest. I, honestly, I think that's a very healthy balancing, <laughs> especially now in quarantine sure. where we got to like, there's a lot of emotional baggage, a lot of like, uh, we just got to like, have time, we got to have our me time. And I think Scarlet Witch is doing that. And I'm like, you go girl, you get your well, me time. Here's a, uh, Hold on, though. Hold on, though. <laughs> to me, there was something very ominous. Yes, yes, it was. Ominous, unsettling, and kind of dark thriller-esque to that, like, that, that, like, end, end, like, shot. Because we, like, wish. I, I don't know. To, there was something, there was something kind of just disturbing to it. And I, I don't, I couldn't put my finger on it. And it, it, to me, it was like, I like that they left that because it leaves so many questions. And then it, it, it goes back to that whole thing of, like, is she a, is she a full hero or is she is she, is she like now? this this yeah. is is becoming the Scarlet Witch like like Agatha warned is like is has she got now gone onto this dark path that there's no coming off of? Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. I think I there's a lot of layers liked, to it for sure. I yes. I, I, I I like that. That's why I kind of liked it. Uh, it's nice when our theories don't come true because then we can get surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So let's finish this off with, I want to know what you would rate this out of 10 stars. For me, I'm going to say nine out of 10. On an IMDb, 10 stars, I assume. IMDb. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm nine out of 10 for me. I thought it was extremely solid. Like for me, I, I'll definitely rewatch this. It, it, it rewards rewatching, I would say, because it's short enough that you can, it's like a quick, you can, you can like you watch an episode here, episode there. There isn't like that lengthy commitment like some shows tend to be. Uh, so I think it has something that most things don't have, which is a rewatchability factor. Um, uh, so I think it would, I would say at least a 8 out of 10, 8.5 out of 10 for sure for me. Because it has, right. honestly, it has stellar performances, uh, interesting characters that you want to revisit again, uh, like hilarious, funny moments. But in the end, if you just want to rewatch those two or three favorite episodes, you can still do that because you know what happens. Because my favorite episodes, hands down, were the first three that were really kind of in the thick, like lost in this world, and then the Halloween episode. Uh, I would say those are like my favorite ones. The Halloween episode was my favorite episode. Oh too. yeah, like I'm definitely. And I love the first three, but yeah. I, I think the Halloween episode was was very very fun and very interesting and kind of dark and, and yeah, it was, yeah. And also Disney plus needs more like Halloween themed content. So I can definitely see there being some sort of intent behind it all, but I liked it a lot. It didn't feel forced. felt very natural. It felt very akin to the whole, like something's off in this town on Halloween. Like it, it was very yeah, fitting. Yeah. Didn't you say you bought some like the, the WandaVision themed characters with their costumes on? Or something like that. Yeah, so I I I got the the pop vinyl version of of Wanda and Vision in their their costumes, their Halloween costumes, which I love was uh, an homage and throwback to their mm-hmm. classic comic book costumes. Uh, to me, it was like it was just it was just too perfect, and so yeah, I picked those nice. up. And then they've they have since um, made uh, like an exclusive versions of bo- of the boys in their Halloween costumes mm-hmm. and uh Fietro. Oh, did they went for Agatha? His Halloween costume. They went for Agatha yet? They just they well cuz you know they wanted that episode to 
to air. But yes, they did one with her a full witchy outfit. Nice. And then they, they did one for White Vision too. Nice. So You're going to collect them all then? Jeez, <laughs> <sighs> I, uh, I don't know. I, I was kicking the tires because then they have like, they have 60s Wanda and 60s Vision. Oh and man, that's... 70s. So, so they, they dive into a bunch of them. So it's like, oh boy, I... I I got to be careful, but yeah, I don't know. I might pick and choose some, nice. um, but, but yeah, the, the Agatha one's super cool. And so is uh white vision. Yeah, so no. Maybe, maybe. Those, oh, cause but. I, well, my friend, I was going to say oh, like, uh, the one last thing I was going to say before we end this was like, I really am pleased. Like it, it, it's a little bit of a back pacing, but I really like to see Randall Park and Kat Jennings, uh, Kat, Kat Dennings in this series as well. Cause I think Randall Park did a stellar job yes. as the audience stand in. Because he's kind of becoming the everyman in a way, like with his kind of, he's basically us in the show. He's a nice reflection of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I just wanted to point that out because I thought he was really great in that. Uh, and yes, I, and, I, I agree. And yeah. I look forward to seeing more to come because I know that he's going to be a recurring character. Like some people are even hoping that he'll get his own, his own like, not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of scale size things, but like uh, the adventures of Jimmy Woo, uh, like kind of, yeah. yeah. One of my friends like that show so much that whenever they say something to the character Jimmy. She'll always text that to me as if it's me. Like, got, <laughs> I don't know, like there aren't there are that many Jimmy characters. And so I'm always kind of like, finally another Jimmy character that isn't from like Ed, Ed and Nettie or from Nickelodeon. Like, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I just wanted to uh, applaud uh, Randall Park. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm glad you brought them up. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good point to, to end this. Thanks so much for joining me and talking about WandaVision. And, uh, I I I think we'll we'll have to see how Falcon and the Winter Soldier plays out. We might have to do the same thing for for that. Agreed, because if if it's going to be a similar thing, I'm very eager to see the types of other genres or TV genres. Like, of course, Loki might be a spy thriller. Falcon and, and uh, Winter Soldier could be kind of like a buddy cop kind of thing. There's a lot of potential that I I think allows us to explore other TV shows adjacent to it as well that were really fun to analyze. Totally. All right, man. Thanks so much. And uh, I will, I'll see you when we do another Nerds episode. with opinions. <laughs> All right, nerds, that's all we've got for you today. Thanks so much for checking out the episode. And thanks to my guest host, Jimmy Levins, for joining me and discussing what's going on with WandaVision. If you're digging what we're doing here on Nerds with Opinions, make sure you're following me at nerds underscore opinions on both Twitter and Instagram and Nerds with Opinions on Facebook. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, rate and review this episode. It really, really helps me out. And if you're on Spotify, make sure that you are following Nerds with Opinions. And if you feel so inclined, download the episodes, share it with your friends, whatever is clever. As always, I'm your host, Matt Holman, and you have been listening to Nerds with Opinions. Nerds with Opinions.